Welcome back to the View from the Bridge podcast, London's Chelsea show. The future of Mason Mount is of big conversation and debate amongst Chelsea fans at the moment. It is still unknown whether Mason Mount will remain for the start of the Mauricio Pochettino era or he will join Manchester United before the end of this transfer window. Glad to say for today's show, where we will be focusing on Mason Mount, is Football London Chelsea writer Bobby Vincent. How are you doing, Bobby? I'm good, Daniel. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we are fully into the transfer window now, aren't we? So hopefully we'll start to see some traction, and especially if you are reporting on it and writing about it, some more interesting things to speak about. Yeah, I mean, it's been open for just a two weeks-ish and it's just been manic already so yeah I'm fully prepared for um, another couple of months of this and as well pre-season begins next week doesn't it and and I'm sure we're expecting to see something from Mauricio Pochettino potentially an unveiling of some kind with media is that to be expected over the next week yeah I think so I, I think it's naturally he starts his job at the weekend I think officially so it'll be nice to see some um pictures new pictures of Pochettino because as you know Daniel the writing articles about him we just I feel I feel like I've used the same old pictures um a couple of times at least now so it'll be nice to see him in some um some Chelsea gear and you know it'll make it feel a bit a bit more real absolutely I guess one of the big things amongst the players that are leaving the likes of Ingolo Kante, Mateo Kovacic, Eduard Mendy, Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz there's more because it's just it feels like Chelsea are selling so many players at the moment, which they needed to. But one of the big talking points that hasn't been resolved yet is, of course, Mason Mount. Before we go back and talk about this contract negotiation that has effectively stalled and potentially caused the departure of Mason Mount, what do we know at this point in terms of Mount coming back for preseason? What is Pochettino's potential plans? Because it's it must be a very awkward situation for the player and coach here because it feels like, for, just from an outside perspective, this could go either way and Mount could very much still be a Chelsea player when Chelsea start their pre-season and their Premier League campaign. Yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like at the moment. Um, as you mentioned earlier, like pre-season starts in a few days officially. So um, by all accounts, Mount will... You know he'll go about his business as a professional. He, he's a, he is a professional. He still he will still play for Chelsea while the, while the stuff goes on behind the scenes. So th- there's not going to be, as far as we know, there's not going to be a situation where he refuses to train or anything like that. It, he will very much be part of preseason, and he'll let you know his representatives do the work behind the scenes in the two clubs, Manchester United and Chelsea. But yeah, I mean Pochettino as far as I'm aware, hasn't really spoken to him yet. But again, that might be as expected because he doesn't officially start his role for, until the weekend. And that obviously, uh, I'm not naive. I know I know managers who don't officially start their role, you know, they'll still be doing stuff behind the scenes. Um, but I, I think in terms of Pochettino and Mount talking, I think that maybe we could see that in the next, you know, couple of weeks. Um while all this is going on because they'll be on the training grounds together and it's a big elephant in the room in it um you know there, there will be conversations about it whether they're informal conversations or just you know meetings behind the scenes so yeah i think it i think the next couple of weeks especially will be interesting if the situation isn't resolved i assume as well there will be questions maybe from yourself at that 
inaugural press conference with Mauricio Pochettino about this Mount situation, which I'm sure for a new coach starting a new era, because a lot of the the feeling around Chelsea in the past seven, 15 or so days has been starting to you know, clear out the players who no longer have a future and feeling like the, the squad that's going to be left is going to be one that Mauricio Pochettino really wants to work with. So having sort of a still someone there who maybe isn't fully committed, it, it could be an awkward thing to deal with, even if the player himself in Mason Mount is professional. Yeah, of course. And I, I think that's something Pochettino needs to get across the Mount as soon as possible. Um, they, they need to... Clearly, yeah, doesn't seem like the right phrase because, you know, it's got really nothing to do with Pochettino up until now. Um, but they need to just sort out a situation where it will benefit them both if, you know, Mount doesn't get the move he wants this summer. Um, we've seen it in the past with other players like Harry Kane, for example. He, he's been wanting to leave Tottenham for countless years now and he, he's just stayed there, played professionally and, you know, wins Golden Boot almost every year. So it, Chelsea need to have a, well, Chelsea and Mount need to have a plan in place for if, you know, the move doesn't happen. And I, I, I think, I don't think it'll be an issue, like not, not knowing Mount personally myself. But he does seem like a very um, professional, you know, hardworking player, and who's it, everyone says it, but he's loved by every manager. And I, I, I think he's pro- about, probably is down to his characteristics and attributes. So I don't see there being an issue where Mount, you know, kicks up a fuss, so to speak. But it, yeah, like I said, it's going to be really interesting, and um, it'll be very interesting to see how Pochettino approaches it as well um, in terms of you know, when the season starts, if Mount is still there. So in terms of how we've got here, I guess we can go back to even before the World Cup, because I know you've done extensive reporting around this in terms of where it started to go wrong in negotiations to get get us to this point where it looks like Mount could very well be heading off, or at the very least, even if he does stay, won't be signing a new deal. When we go back there, it did seem quite positive at the end of 2022 and it felt like at the very least that there was something very close to being signed with Mason Mount and Chelsea. There was. Yeah, yeah, there was. So um, before the World Cup, so that's any time before November, really, September, October. Don't know the exact sort of month, but Chelsea um, and Mount's representatives and Mount himself were very optimistic um, about agreeing a deal. Both both parties wanted it. Um, Mount, you know, Mount's been a fan of Chelsea um, for however long now, and he, he wants to stay here. And um, they sort of came to an agreement, like a verbal agreement, without actually signing anything uh, about um, about the contract. And the main issue before that was to do with a lot of it was to do with imaging rights because Mount does a lot of stuff outside of Chelsea where he, um, you know, gets a lot, well, he uh, creates a lot of money basically um, for what he does outside of Chelsea. And Chelsea wanted, supposedly wanted a bit of that money. And that was a stumbling block because, you know, it's Mount's money, essentially. It's not really anything to do with the club. But anyway, they, they finally compromised and came to an agreement and without signing anything. And then the World Cup happened and Chelsea we're even willing to send lawyers out to Qatar to, you know, get the deal done. But Mount's camp were very much like, there's no real rush on this. Mount wants to concentrate on the World Cup. I mean, it's his first World Cup of England. Um, 
so there wasn't really a rush and we do it on my back sort of thing and then by the time it was back, by the time they were back you know it was sort of late December um early January Chelsea sort of had this had a few few new um people in the recruitment team and then things started to change because obviously Todd Bowley and Egbali sort of took a step back really on the day-to-day stuff so their agreement but Mounts Camp's believed to still be there but then apparently that was almost taken off the table and they wanted to do things a different way and obviously that wasn't good for Mount and his camp weren't particularly happy with that and then the January transfer window happened. It was towards the end. There were still talks ongoing. And then I think early February was when Chelsea offered Mount a one-year deal, which saw his salary increase massively. But that wasn't really the issue with for Mount and his camp. It was more to do with the way the deal was structured, how, how much they value and respect Mount. I think that's a big thing. And anyway, the one-year deal was sort of just rejected almost straight away. And that, as far as I'm aware, is the last time Chelsea have offered Mount a concrete deal. There have still been talks, but nothing has been offered. And, you know, from that point of view, from what I've just said, you can almost understand why Mount is frustrated with Chelsea and how things have how things have um, gone on behind the scenes. And now we've got to this situation where there's a lot of baggage and you know, a club like Manchester United come come call in, there's one year left in your contract. You can't really blame him for wanting to go. So now now we're at a situation where United have offered was it two or three bids. I don't even know now. They've supposedly withdrew their interest, but I don't buy that for one second because I think they're just trying to almost bait Chelsea into selling him because he's got a year left in his contract. Man United are offering good money. But Chelsea, to be fair to them, have been stubborn all the way along. They've said 70 million, not a penny less. And that, that, that is what it looks like at the moment. So, yeah, I, I think I've only told about half the story there, but it's there's so much to remember, to be honest. It's interesting, you know, you bring up that kind of change in approach from Chelsea towards Mount that frustrated his side of things um, in terms of Bowley and Iqbali stepping back. Does this tie in as well if we're thinking about the same timeline of the January transfer window and all of the signings that Chelsea made? There has been talk of, and and the proof has kind of been there, that Chelsea are looking to lower their wage structure with the signings of, say, Mikhailo Mudrik and other young players, Benoit Badia-Shil, throughout the, the January transfer window and signings they're looking to make now. Is it part of that wider strategy that the likes of, say, Lawrence Stewart, Paul Wynn Stanley, Christopher Vival, that that those are the individuals, not to kind of pinpoint, you know, blame on them, but this is there has that was the change in strategy that happened between the World Cup and then. And, you know, that's kind of connected and why maybe previously Chelsea would have been very open to giving Matt what he wanted. Yeah, of course, because when you get the three names you just mentioned there, they're they're probably gonna have different ways of approaching it they're gonna have different ideas than Todd Bowley and Egbali who let's be honest aren't, aren't too experienced when it comes to um, football transfers and you know what they did last summer and in January was very you know it's been questioned widely yeah I mean these these three guys are very experienced and they they obviously had different ways of approaching situations and if they looked at if they heard about the mount proposal from Bowley or Egbali and didn't like the way it was structured and think 
you know, think they could get a better deal for Chelsea out of that, then they were going to try that. And by all accounts, that looks like what has happened. And yeah, I, I just know that Mounts Camp were quite confused about how the club um, operated in that time. It, it was just a, it was just strange because they had, they had, yeah, like they had almost a promise with um, Boli and Igbali, and then when they came back, it, everything has sort of changed. And about the wage structure, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure on that because I, I'm not sure about what wages Mount was being offered um, at the time. I don't know the exact details, but but it's a good theory, and I think that's certainly something that makes sense. I know a lot of people as well from the fan side of things have been talking about club side versus player side the briefing counter briefing that goes on and kind of how much of this stuff you you should believe and, and take with a pinch of salt I mean I don't know sort of your thoughts on that because it feels like with contract negotiations now and I guess the parallel can maybe be drawn a little bit to last season or I'm talking about the season before last with Andreas Christensen and, and Antonio Rudiger where it plays out for many months you hear very different things sometimes from what would be deemed the player side, the club side, and then naturally on social media, as they do with a lot of things, take sides over this. Um, do you think that's healthy in the discourse? And do you think that kind of element has, has played a part to increase the divide in these negotiations? Yeah, so the, th- the thing is, um, being a journalist, it, it's quite hard to get information that is not biased in a way, because you're, you're getting it from different camps and there is obviously going to be a bit of bias either way and so the information I got it I, I made sure that I went to as many different sources as possible and it it was difficult to get and it was stuff I was um, sitting on for a few weeks because I, w- I didn't want to just report it from one person because you know then I understand how it would come across so there was different people I approached and some successful some not and then and I got a lot of replies saying like this is clearly you know from Mount's camp and I, that they're entitled to say that it, it's fine but whether or not it's healthy I mean I, I just think it's the reality to be honest I don't think the club are obviously going to say different things to the player because of how they want to paint themselves and you know Chelsea's timeline of events would probably look very different to what I've just said and that's fair because, you know, that, that, that's literally their job. But, I mean, to be honest, I just don't think social media is healthy for um, transfer business because it's just it's an absolute battle, like battlefield out there. And, yeah, this, this whole Mount situation just needs to be resolved as quickly as possible because I think even Chelsea fans on Twitter are getting bored of it now. Does the Kai Havertz sale to Arsenal and, and the fee that Chelsea have been able to extract from Arsenal for a you know similar age player a player with potential to to grow into one of the world's best has has done some pretty extraordinary things at Chelsea even if he hasn't been the most consistent player do you think that plays into Chelsea's resistance a little bit to cave into Man United's bids as they maybe sense well look at what we got out of Arsenal for Kai Havertz Mount has been a more valuable player arguably for Chelsea we can get more here even though he's only got one year left on his deal yeah, it's a good point. Is I, um, I, th- I think so because, as well as that, it's you know Chelsea are getting what sixty, sixty-five million for Havertz. It me, it sort of means they don't necessarily 
need to go out and get another 70 million if they even want to. And Man United probably know that. That you know, and all the players are selling as well, like Loftus Cheeks on his way, Ziek, Mendy, Gudabali's already gone, Pulisic is going to leave, players like that. Chelsea don't necessarily need the money, even though they're trying to balance their books. They, they don't desperately need a um, 70 million. So, yeah, I, I guess that does work. And, you know, Havertz has got two years left in his contract as well. Um, and they get that sort of money. So, yeah, I, I guess it probably could have a say with Mount. But I'm just very interested to see how Man United approach this because they've, they've clearly briefed their journalists um, that, you know, that they're going to withdraw their interest in Mount. But I just don't think that's, I don't think that's a play at all. I, I think they'll come back in for him. There's still talks on going like that. I heard that yesterday. So it, it's definitely not over yet. And I, I fully expect United to raise raise the money for a next bid. But I just don't I, I don't see Chelsea selling if it's not for 70 million from what they're saying. And it's, it is pretty ridiculous money when you think of his contract situation. So it's very interesting. But I guess, you know, again, going back to that, I mean, you could say that Arsenal overpaid a little bit for Kai Havertz based on his output and, and maybe Chelsea look at it and go, we want compensation for someone who is still, you know, young, still has years left. We're going to lose those years of development as a key player. Maybe that's their, their angle in a sense, you know, and, and I can understand it. I, I understand that even though the, the one-year contract thing may, from a Man United perspective, look at it and go, well, surely the fee has got to come down. Look at the Declan Rice situation that's going on right now. I mean, this is a guy who, again, has 12 months left on his deal, but West Ham have been able to extract over 100 million from Arsenal, it looks like, for this player. So it's, it, it's not, I know it's case by case and there's different nuances within each case, but it's it, the importance of Mounts to Chelsea, I don't think, can be understated. Yeah, I think with the Rice situation, it's interesting because I think West Ham have played a blinder there because. It's almost been the last three summers, I think, that West Ham have been expected to sell or whatever, and they've kept hold of him. So it, it's almost like this the whole anticipation of Rice was coming for this summer, and it was going to be big money regardless. And obviously, he had a great season, probably his best season for West Ham last year. So that obviously helped things, but he would have gone for, you know, he would have been a similar price even if he had quite a poor season because of how good of a player he is. But yeah, with habits as well, I think. For some reason, and I, I do get it to a point, but even though he had quite, well, in my opinion, a poor season last season, um, there's almost this acceptance that there is a player in, a really good player in there, like a world class player, and I get it because we've we've seen glimpses of it, we haven't seen enough of it. So I think like paying that much isn't necessarily a bad thing for Arsenal, even with his contract situation. And yeah, with with Mount, you know, he's a he had a poor season last time around and I guess the easy explanation for that is because of all the things to just explain with the contract situation but there might be a bit more to it than that but there is you know there's a general acceptance that he is a Premier League proven player who's been doing it for years and he's, I think he's been named Chelsea's player of the season twice he, he is a brilliant player and still very young he's still um you know, he's still not even at his peak theoretically. So, I think if Man United c- could get him, then they'll then you know they have, they'd have their centre midfield sorted out for years to come. And 
I think also the fact that Liverpool shown interest in them did more of a groundwork earlier in the transfer window. Because at one point, you know, before the season was over and the window opened, Liverpool were the main sort of interested team in them. Um, United were sort of sniffing around but didn't do much in terms of talking to a player or talking to Chelsea. But Liverpool were doing that and it's almost like when United came in, Liverpool almost sort of got a bit scared because they know of the money United have got. So that probably upped his price as well because Liverpool would have been talking to Chelsea about what sort of fee they'd offer, whatever, and Chelsea would have been saying, we don't want to let them go for that. And then United came in, got a briefing from that, and, you know, that's why they're offering big money for someone who's got 12 months left in this deal. Final two questions, uh, slightly moving away from Mount. We are at the time of recording, 28th of June, which is when this podcast will be released. We are two days away from that infamous and, and very noteworthy date of the 30th of June, which has been cited for many months now about this sort of deadline for Chelsea regarding FFP. And I know you kind of referred to it in terms of selling players. Has in some ways this deadline been overblown, this, the extent and severity for Chelsea of course, aided by the business that has been done over the past week to to start to ship some of these players out. Um, yeah, I think because I think it's not the sort of be all and end all. If Chelsea, you know, can't balance their books, so to speak, before thirtieth of June, um, you're allowed to lose. I think it's a maximum of one hundred and five million in that period. And I think Chelsea were like 270 mil over the last two years. Um, but because of they've been selling, I spoke to Kieran Maguire um, yesterday or the day before. And he was, you know, he's got a, he's, his expertise is in this area. So he knows a lot more about it than I do. And he was saying about Chelsea being able to sell players like Loftus Cheek and, he, you know, even Gallagher and Mount who have been. Think the link of moves away because they're from the academy. It generates pure profit, and that supposedly is you know much more valuable in terms of than you know selling Kai Havertz because I think Chelsea actually make would make a loss on them. Um, but I think it has been blown out of proportion a bit in terms of it's not the be all and end all. But yeah, I mean, between now and what is it Friday? I expect there to be a few more players leaving. You, you know, Ziyech and Mendy are supposedly done. Loftus-Cheeks agreed a deal yesterday, so you, you expect that to be done. Um, Havertz, the, I mean, the announcement's been leaked, so we've seen him in an Arsenal shirt, so that could just be any point in the next 24 hours. So, yeah, be interesting. Final question is obviously pre-season, which commences next week. We believe and maybe you can clarify this in terms of the the way Chelsea players are going to start returning I'm sure the international uh, impact will, will come in here because it feels like for some players the season literally has just not ended and they've gone straight into international duty which is just a bit ridiculous but just wanted to get your, your thoughts and, and feelings ahead of the pre-season uh, Chelsea heading off to the US once again this time we hope it's going to be a little bit more smooth than last summer where there were many concerns and frustrations from Thomas Tuchel at the time over the extent to the travel. Going to be playing the likes of Wrexham, a few Premier League teams within there and ending with Borussia Dortmund. Just your general thoughts as, as we now head into Chelsea's pre-season, the first under Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to um, 
like I said earlier, to see see Pochettino in um, in the Chelsea in the Chelsea tracksuit or whatever it is. I hope for Chelsea's sake that they almost learned their lesson because from last year because I can't think of everyone who was there last year, but you got like Marcus Alonso, Ross Barkley, other players as well who were there last preseason who clearly didn't have a future of the club but were you know playing valuable minutes in preseason. But Batshuayi is another one. Um, so I hope they can get as many sort of players out, which to be fair, they look like they're trying to do before they jet off to America because I think the importance of preseason is understated in, in a way. And I think if you can get Pochettino, you know, close to what his squad would be for the opening day of the season, then that would be brilliant for him. That would be brilliant for the squad. He, he'd be able to start putting, you know, plans in his head about formations and tactics and what different systems he wants to deploy. So, yeah, for that sake, I hope um, I hope Chelsea have learned their lesson. It, it looks like they have um, in terms of what they're trying to do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think the game against Wrexham is a really interesting one. Um, obviously, with all the, you know, the background of Wrexham at the moment with Ryan Reynolds, um, that'll be really interesting to see. And it'll also be interesting to see what sort of team Chelsea will put out because... Um, they might, you know, just play their second string against the um, League Two side. So it'll be interesting to see if it, how strong they go out. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it. I mean, I was ready for the season to end because, as most Chelsea fans were, I guess. But um, you know, it's been like what a month now, monthish, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm sort of missing football. But even though we did have that international. Break, which was absolutely scandalous. I don't know why that was even allowed to be uh, allowed to happen. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, as well. I think that uh, Chelsea are going to play Brighton in this kind of Premier League summer series. I believe it is that they're taking part. Which, of course, there is a reference there and a potential interesting narrative uh, regarding one Moises Casado, who, of course, is being heavily linked. Have we heard anything about that? Because that that seems to be potentially the big story in terms of a potential incoming for Chelsea this summer? Yeah, so I think, I, do, I don't think there have been many talks over the last week or so, but Chelsea are planning to sort of resume them or reopen them or however you want to phrase it um, quite soon. Their personal terms have been agreed, but not signed on um, with Caicedo. He wants to move to Chelsea. You know, Arsenal are focusing on Declan Rice now, so there's not that competition there there's been a few murmurs about Man United but I don't know how serious that is so it very much looks in that respect straightforward it's not straightforward at all but um, you know a clear path almost to him uh, Liverpool don't want to spend that sort of money even though they like him so yeah I, I mean he wants to move that isn't the issue but you know it's been well documented the issue is Brighton how tough negotiators they are we've seen that with some of Chelsea's dealings over the last couple of seasons. Um, even though Chelsea and Brighton probably have a very good working relationship because of the amount of negotiations that have happened, it's, it's still going to be difficult. Brighton want around 80 million for him. Chelsea don't want to pay that up front, at least. They, you know, they've, we've seen with Enzo Fernandez, Wesley Fofana, so many deals, Mikhailo Mudrik, they've, uh, structured their deal so it gets paid over installments it fits in with the financial fair play requirements and obviously it leaves more of the budget allocation for the summer as well 
So that, that even if they did pay eighty million, they'd want to do it in a way that suits them. Brighton would obviously like as much money up front as possible, so they can go out and replace Caicedo. But saying that, they've signed a few midfielders already, so it very much looks like they're sort of planning for life. Obviously, McAllister's left as well, post McAllister and Caicedo. So I think it's. I think if you ask me now, I think it's a deal that gets done, but I just think it's one of them that will drag on like an end with an Andreas in January. I, I don't see a quick solution, but I hope I'm wrong um, for my sake, for Chelsea fans' sake, for the club's sake, for the players' sake. But yeah, I, I when it's, do you know when the Brighton game is in pre-season? I was just trying to think if it... I believe it's second, it's second or third, so it's kind of mid to late July. Yeah, I... I, I like if you ask me now, I'd be surprised if he was at Chelsea by then. I think it's one that could go into August, but yeah, hope I'm wrong. Yeah, we saw Marco Correa. That negotiation did drag on, and I, I don't think there are many Chelsea fans now, other than Levi Colwell not being sold permanently, that look back at that deal and, and that time spent with much fondness. But uh, hopefully, Casado will turn out a little bit better if he does sign. Uh, thank you so much, Bobby, for joining me. Uh, make sure if you are listening to give the podcast a positive rate and review really does help the show out. Make sure to stay tuned, not only to this podcast where we're going to be on here weekly, more than one episode, breaking down the latest Chelsea news as we head into the preseason under Mauricio Pochettino. And make sure to go over to football.london and check out the latest Chelsea news from Scott and Bobby. Thank you for listening and we will see you again very soon. <laughs>